Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Brandon Kellogg. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Hi, thank you so much. Um, Just by way of introduction, this is going to be a podcast. Brandon is 26 years old, and he's going to be talking about his parents' divorce. And that's a tender subject. And we, Brandon, felt impressed to share this story so it can help others that go through the similar situation where parents that they love get divorced and how to navigate that. And this might be helpful for you if you're walking that space or perhaps if you're a parent going through a divorce to hear from a child of the things that his parents did that were helpful when the reality of a divorce happens. Um, So that's kind of an overview of this podcast. By way of bio introduction, Brandon, as I mentioned, is 26 years old. He grew up in Michigan, Battle Creek, Michigan. I became aware of Brandon because one of our good family friends, Elder Hannes Durant, was serving a mission in Chicago and um, for a brief time was a missionary companion with Brandon Kellogg, and Brandon ended up um, serving a complete mission in the Salt Lake City Mission. And when I was working the Salt Lake Temple, sometimes I'd see full-time missionaries come in, and Brandon or Elder Kellogg was one of those missionaries. So we've had this connection um, through a couple touch points. Uh, By way of, um, Brandon was about 16 years old when his parents split up. The divorce wasn't final till he was about 17. Brandon has an older sister and two younger brothers. And he'll kind of talk about growing up in an LDS family. His dad is not active in the church, but very supportive of Brandon and his life on his mission. And his mother is active in the church. Brandon currently is a teacher at the Provo MTC. Although with COVID, there's not an MTC um, with uh, elders and sisters there. So he, like many of all of us, are on hiatus um, in this new reality. Brandon may want to start a podcast one day and encourage him to do that. So that's kind of the focus of our podcast, our listeners. Brandon and I said a prayer before we started, just that this podcast will be helpful. But Brandon, talk about anything that I've said that's incorrect as far as a bio. Oh, yeah. Everything was correct. Um, So I actually want to be a teacher at the MTC. Right now, I'm just currently working as a cafeteria worker. Got it. Well, that's serious work, man. Um, I'm glad you're there (laughs) at the MTC and doing that good work. You're making a lot of people happy, and I hope they all return. And I actually thought cafeteria food at the MTC was actually really good back in my day. So anyway. (laughs) Yeah. It's really good. Um, talk about you're in Battle Creek, Michigan. You're a family of six, four kids and two parents. And talk about when you first realized your, there was tension between your parents. I mean, there was always a lot of tension growing up. I think there was a lot of feelings of this this love, but also this secretly, you know, who's you know, who's right, who's, who's wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. Kind of thing. When I was about nine or 10 years old, that's when I really started to see a lot more intensity. The, the disagreements, the unresolved issues were always there. But as I got older and I got into my preteen years, I really started to notice that there was some, some things that were off 
by the time I was 13 years old, I, I knew for a fact that one day that they were going to get divorced. I wasn't sure when it was going to happen, but I, I just knew. And dear, when you were 13 years old, did this is a tender question because your parents may listen to this podcast and I want to honor both of these good adults and you do too. You're trying not to take sides here. You're trying to support both parents and and not do right. this podcast in any way to sort of lift one parent over another. Although you recognize like my wife and I were imperfect parents. We haven't done everything right. And so I sense your goal here is not in any way to to, to increase any divide that's already potentially exists in your family. But did you find that w- your parents tried to pull you to their way of thinking or was this, was this, or to their side or was you, were you just aware there was tension between them? Um, I, I think that both there's truth in both of those, of those things. Um, I mean, my dad and I, you know, our relationship growing up was, it was pretty rocky. I mean, we had, I think it's cause we're so much alike. We have some similar, a lot of similar background, similar personalities. Um, my dad growing up, he, he was always one of those. I want to be honest. You know, whenever he would get in trouble, he would always like for the stories that I've heard him say, he would always own up to it. He wouldn't try to to get out of it. Um, and I and I'm and I'm very much like that as well. Um, I think sometimes they're what they say and how they say it. I don't think they wanted us to kind of pick sides. I, I think some of the things that got said might have cause um a sway in in our opinion on the other parent and that's not necessarily a bad thing but i I think when you're voicing your frustration about the situation um one thing i did notice is that um because the other parent wouldn't listen and the kids would that's kind of we were kind of the people that we heard a lot of those frustrations and i think that's kind of where my opinion on you know, if I were the favor of one parent, which I did for a long time, um, that's kind of where that bias came from. Um, that's honest. And I, did you feel like one parent talked to you more about what was going on? Um, at the time it felt like I was only, to be honest, I, I don't know. I feel like there. I feel like one of the parents was more talkative and the other parent was more reserved, but at the same time, you know, one of the parents was always working, whereas the other parent was, was at home a lot. So it's really hard to, to decide if, what if I had more time with one of the parents, would they have been able to be more open? So I don't necessarily think, I really don't know. That's an honest question. That's an honest answer, Brandon. Um, talk about age, any, they moved out or your, I think your dad moved out when you were 16 and we're kind of at age 13. Do you want to talk anything more between 13 and 16 until I assume your dad moved out? So I, I when I was 13, like I said, it was, I was, um, it was, uh, it was summertime and I was at a camp, um, a residential camp all week. We were camping and that's just when I found out that it's why right when it hit me that I knew that, um, that my parents were going to get divorced. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. And deep down, I I thought maybe there was something I could do to, um, 
to prevent it from happening. Um, but like, like I just kind of continued from what I was doing. I, I didn't really change my behavior or my actions or my conduct. I mean, definitely playing peacekeeper. I've, I've tried to do that a couple of times, but there wasn't really much action that happened during those years of, of what I did more along the lines of what my parents, you know, what they were going through. And then was there a big dramatic event that happened when you're, uh, I'm assuming your dad moved out. Although I don't know that for sure. I just know that one moved out. Was there a big dramatic event or was it just, you just, it just happened and it was announced to you? So I, I would say both, both actually. So um, the big dramatic event, which is um, my mom, you know, repeatedly talks about this and, and I don't, I don't blame her because it was a really powerful time. Um, it was on Halloween, 2009. I remember this day very clearly because five out of six of our family was, was there. Um, and my youngest brother was not old enough yet. Um, we all went to the temple in Chicago, Illinois, and we, um, we did our first temple baptisms for our family. My, my grandfather, my, both of my grandparents. So my mom's grandpa and my dad's dad, I got, my dad baptized me for, for, for both of them. And, um, my sister, my dad baptized my sister for, for his mom. And so that was a very tender time for us. I, I was 15. We were so happy and I could just feel the spirit so strongly. And I think that was, to be honest, before my pivotal, pivotal time in my life, when I really stopped feeling the influence of the Holy Ghost, that was probably the last time I felt it that strongly. And I probably, and I wouldn't feel that again until, um, until getting endowed um, about seven years later. So, but it was, it was a very, very tender time. And it's a time that I'll never forget. Um, because we, the, the power of family history, the power of, 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 of doing of, of the spirit of Elijah, it, it entered into our family that day. And, um, I felt very strong. I felt like we were very strong. And, um, for a moment, I actually forgot what I had felt when I was 13 about my parents getting divorced because it was, it was that incredible. I love so, that experience. Keep telling your story. Thank you. Um, so that was on Halloween, 2009. Um, that was, I was 15 and that was six months before I turned 16. Um, about six months later, um, April, um, April, 2010 came around and that was a very interesting, it was a very interesting five months starting in April. Um, I called it the best worst summer ever because I was working as a lifeguard at a boy scout camp. And that was probably my first, my first actual job. And that started up in May and then I, I started doing it full time in June after school. Um, in April, though, there was something that happened, and I think everybody knew what happened um, because it was my sweet 16, and everybody was just, I, I don't want to like go on the specifics just for, you know, but everybody was just not in a good mood. We were very, 
I, I had been wanting a big cookie from Mrs. Fields and that was just the tip of the iceberg. I laugh about that now, but there was just a lot of things that happened that, that didn't happen or, there, or that it shouldn't have happened, I should say. And it was probably, I don't even remember anybody smiling um, on my birthday that year. It was, it was just really bad. I think there was some kind of tension that we didn't know where it was coming from. We didn't know what was going on. Everybody was upset. Everybody was angry. It, it was just... And what's interesting is that my birthday is always on spring break. And so I always had my birthday off from school. And so we usually would do something really nice. We'd go, we might go to a hotel. We might go to a movie. We've sometimes have spent three days, um, a weekend getaway. And it's really nice having those days off to, to have family time. But this was one of those times when we didn't actually, we didn't have anything. We, we didn't, we didn't do anything. And, um, I, I, it was just, it was really strange looking back. I, I think it, it might've been what was going on with, with our, with our parents that might've influenced, even though it wasn't directly going on in front of us, we had to have felt some kind of, I don't know if this is the right word, but some kind of like disturbance in the force, as you'd call it. It was just, all of us were feeling off in a negative way. And so a couple months later, my, after spending the first week at scout camp, I knew something was wrong because I know my dad's work schedule. And, um, this is where it happened all at once. He, um, he, he picked me up, me and my brother up from, from work right after we had packed up and everything. And, like I said, I know his work schedule. And so he wasn't supposed to be off from work. And so I had been asking him, it was about a 30 minute car ride on the way home. I had spent probably all 25 minutes before we got off on our exit, asking him what was going on because I knew something was wrong. And, um, and then he finally told it to me and my brother was asleep in the car. He said that he had moved out. Um, there, something when he said that to me that he'd moved out, I don't think, okay. So before I go on, I really want to say that in retrospect, this was probably the best thing that could have happened to our family. It was the best thing that could have happened to me. It was the best thing that could have happened to my mom. And it was probably the best thing that could have happened to him because he was, he was living in a position that he was not comfortable living in he changed after he moved out. He started going back into some habits um, that he had done, but along he had stopped doing, you know, ever since my parents had been married, um, he had been doing a lot of things like um, just some of his habits, some of his, his, how he, how he talked. It's just like, I, I had heard him talk in ways that I'd never heard him talk before. I had heard, I, he was listening to, to comedians that I had never heard him listen to before. Um, sense of humor that changed what I, what I started to realize was in retrospect, I can look back now and I can say that I think he was uncomfortable, comfortable. And that was causing him to, that was, could have been the, where the tension could have been coming from. Cause after he started going back to what he was comfort, comfortable with, it was like, he was a really nice person. 
I mean, he's always been a really good, nice person, but this was unusual to see. And I think what I've realized is when you're in a very comfortable position, you're more likely to not take it out on other people, not take out frustration or or your negativity. And so that was something I've observed in retrospect. So I, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, that he's a bad person because he's not. But I think he was uncomfortable. And I think, and I just want to say that after everything that happened, I think it worked out for the best for everybody. But in this moment when he said that he moved out, I, I cannot explain, words cannot describe the feeling of what heartbreak really feels like. I, I don't think you have to be well, let me say it let me say it this way. I think it's one of those feelings that the only way you can truly understand what it feels like is if you've been in that situation. You could spend hours writing a novel, but everybody knows that a picture can tell a thousand words. But going through something is even stronger. It was as though there was a vase inside of me that shattered into a thousand pieces when he said that. It happened all inside a very small spot directly where my heart was. It was as that to me is what I felt. I felt like something was there and then all of a sudden I felt a pop inside of me. And then I just felt empty. It was really hard. So yeah, it was all at once, but it also was a very big moment. And the big moment was not the kind of big moment you'd anticipate. Did you, did you at age 13 or age 16 think this was your fault? Sometimes children internalize things and assume that like, bad things that happen to a family or it's because they did something wrong. Did you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how many I have met now, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds of people, whether it's before my mission on my mission, helping people at home after moving to Utah, I have met dozens of people that have had parents that were divorced. I have not met a single person that to some extent, just thought in some way, shape or form that have, that hasn't said that they, that they feel like it was their fault. I think every single child to some extent feels a sense of responsibility for what happens to their parents. Do you, do you still I feel think, that way? Do you still feel that way? Are you at peace that this was something that happened outside of your influence or ability to change your control? Um, I think I can safely say that I've, I've moved past that. I'm at this time. I know that my parents are, um, they're still my parents and I still love them and I, and I care about them deeply. I think, however, I picture my life and what it would have looked like if they had stayed together. I picture the things that I've done because I know, I know now without a doubt that there's nothing I could have done that could have changed anything. And it took a lot of evidence to convince me of that. 
But I think the biggest thing is I've tried to picture what my life would look like if they had stayed together. And I don't think it would have turned out as good as my life has currently turned out. I, I think it still would have turned out okay, but I, there was a lot of growing up that I had to do because of the divorce. And there was a lot of, I mean, everybody deals with, with that differently. I mean, we all have different experiences. And I personally believe that no two roads to the celestial kingdom are exactly the same, minus the covenants that we make at baptism in the temple and so forth. What I go through, what you go through, you know, what the prophet goes through, they're all very different things. And um, nobody can truly understand what road we're on except for the Savior himself. But I know for a fact that it, it, it wasn't my fault. Are you at peace that it was the right decision for your parents to get divorced? Or do you feel like if they had only worked harder or one of them had done more stuff or whatever, that they could have made this work? Or do you not feel qualified to answer that question? Well, I definitely am not qualified because I'm not certified, but my personal opinion is that you know, having been married now for seven and a half months, I, I, I think I have a, I can't safely say, but I, I can say that every marriage has problems. That's we've, my wife and I, we love each other so much. And we've, we've had, we've had our struggles. I'm not so worried when somebody says that they fight. I'm, I start to worry when people say they don't fight because that tells me that one of them could be letting themselves get walked over to quote unquote, keep the peace. That's when I would start to worry. And I, and I personally believe that my parents could have been, well, I I don't even want to say that much because they still had their disagreements, but I, I think the term choose your battles is a very incorrect practice. I think there is a way to voice your concern and your opinion, to want to be heard in a way that doesn't come off as, as aggressive and it doesn't have a, a mean tone. It can be done in a very respectful way. And then not compromise, but find something that can satisfy both sides. Um, so, now, I'm sorry, what was your question again? Could you... Well, just it's sort of this idea, could your parents, do you feel like it was the right decision for them to get divorced or do you feel like it's yeah. hard for you to even know that? Or I mean, sometimes I know that I we, we sometimes just want people to continue to try to make marriages work and we want all marriages to succeed, but sometimes we recognize the reality of a situation that a separation and a divorce is, is happening. Right. So I, I want this to be very clear. So I, I believe in marriage. I, I, I know that it's, you know, it's in God's plan for us. Based on where they were at in their lives, I don't think there was any way that staying together was going to be an option. I believe that any marriage can, can, can work. I think that any couple that gets married, something had to cause them to get married. And I honestly believe that all couples, once they get married, 
if they put forth the right amount of effort and have the right mindset, are open-minded and humble enough that any marriage can work, especially, you know, and only really when it's built on the foundations of Christ. Um, that being said, however, you know, it, it does take two to make a marriage work. And I also believe it takes two to make a marriage fail. Sometimes we well, we hear ourselves saying it takes one to make a marriage fail, but, you know, it, if, if I was the problem and if, and if my wife was perfect, I, I, I don't believe that I would use that as an excuse to leave. I would have to find something wrong with her as a, you know, sense of justifying myself to want to leave. If, if I was, you know, in that mindset, I really think, you know, it really does take two. You, you have to find something wrong with another person to excuse your own, your own conduct, thus satisfying your biases and ignoring the fact that you also have problems yourself. And so I, I do believe that marriages can work and I do believe that any and all marriages can work, but I also believe that our hearts, or the intentions of our hearts are what makes the marriage so successful. Why are we married to this person? Why did I get married to them in the first place? Um, do I really care about this person? And who am I thinking about? When I say these things, am I thinking about us or am I thinking about me? When I make this decision, you know, I'm not really qualified to offer marriage advice because I, like I said, I've only been married for, for seven and a half months, but those are just some pointers that I personally learned that has so far worked for me. So good but thoughts. when it comes to, go ahead, go ahead. When it comes to my parents, I, I do believe that the best thing was for them to go their separate ways. I think it was the only way that they could heal and uh, recover. I like those two words, heal and recover. And, you know, I'm 59. I've been married for 30 years. And um, I've, in my lifetime, have seen marriages end around me. And I think at first when I saw marriage end, I wanted to kind of know the backstory and maybe try mm. to find one partner that was at fault. And I think I did that to try to keep myself emotionally safe, that if I could explain away someone's failed marriage, then... I wasn't then worried about my own marriage, but as I've matured, I've just recognized that it's not my job to try to figure out why someone else's marriage failed or who was more at fault or the backstory. I realize right. that's our doctrine is not to judge and not to sort of, um, and so I, the older I get, the more I just recognize that really good people that try to do their best to keep a marriage together at times, two really good people have a marriage that ends and, I just recognize that's practicalities of mortality and and then we just try to love them the best we can. I've never been a kid of a I've never walked your road where my own parents' marriage failed. Um so you're that's why your podcast is helpful is talking to others that are walking this road. Um I did I did when I was a YSA bishop, some of the YSAs came from married, you know, came from homes where the parents marriage ended and there was a little bit of a fear that they would that they were damaged goods or that they would repeat the same mistakes and I really felt like that was not true I felt like in some ways they might be more qualified and have better insights to make a marriage work because they kind of saw 
the complexities of their own parent marriage. And maybe there was some learning there that would be helpful for them. And so I wanted to reassure, and if you that are listening are, you know, children of a, of a marriage that failed, I, that's the advice I give to you is look at that as a learning experience. Don't look at that as a black mark or, um, uh, in, or a, a prophecy of your future, <laughs> But look at that as a positive experience in your life, even though it's generated perhaps pain for you, um, that you're going to learn from that experience. And I think that brings honor to your parents, because I think every parent of a marriage that failed would want their own children's marriage to be healthy and strong, because they firsthand know, I don't think any parent goes into a marriage wanting their marriage to fail, and they would want their children to have strong marriages and not have to walk the same road. I agree. And my parents, you know, you could ask both of them individually, together, privately, however you want. You know, of all the few things that they agree on still, I could say that I, for a fact, that one of those things is that they really want what's best for all of us, all of us kids. My sister's been married for seven years now, and their marriage is still strong. I think that both of my parents are happy for them. And I think that they want that to stay that way and to only get better. Talk about um, just this idea. I've got some notes here for our listeners that Brandon prepared for me. It helps me sometimes guide a podcast. Talk about holding a grudge um, that you you perhaps held for a period of time. Yeah. So when when my parents got divorced, I immediately blamed. Um, I blamed one of them for for causing this whole thing to happen, and it it really it poisoned me. That's the for there's really no better word to put it than it really poisoned me. It's I wanted so badly for the worst of the worst to happen, you know, to to my parents. For, for because I felt like that this was a personal attack on me that, and in my siblings that how could they do this to us? You know, these thoughts that are going through my 16 year old mind, 17 year old mind and, and so forth, they were very malicious. I, you know, when I worked at, at that Boy Scout camp, I, I called it the best worst summer ever. Um, I, I lost, you know, I was a little chubby back in the day. I, I, I lost about 30 pounds after I, I, after that summer. And I, and I had a nice, a nice, um, I was in shape and, and I had a nice tan line going for me. Anyway, what's interesting is that that was probably the healthiest I was for the next five years. Um, I ended up gaining so much weight because I, I would stress eat myself to sleep every night. I would, uh, I would, I would sneak into the kitchen, uh, and, um, after, or, or even during when, when my parents were still up, but after my mom would go to bed, I, I would sneak into the kitchen and grab, um, empty calories just, and I'd, I'd probably slam down about 1200 calories, um, and then go right to bed. I, I would do that every night. And I got to the point where I was, I had, I'd weighed about 330 pounds 
um, by the time I was uh, 19. And uh, that was just a very depressing time in my life. And and I think the root of all of that, all of that negativity came back to holding a grudge. The the depression was was at an all time high, and I was on a load of medication. I can't even think about all the medicine I was taking, all the prescription medication. But it was a really, I, I in retrospect, I, I think I can safely say that. I was at my most depressed and I was at my weakest when I was feeling enmity and bitter feelings towards another person, another human being. It was, I would probably have to go back and say that that was probably one of the darkest times of my life. It's pretty honest, and I recognize. Um, I'm not clinically trained, but as I hear you talk about that, I, I recognize maybe just a core feeling of pain, um, pain in your life because your dreams potentially had changed for this storybook family, pain in your life because you saw people that you loved hurt. And sometimes then to deal with pain, you sort of have to mask it and that can lead to anger and that can be directed at other people that may or may not deserve it. And it can lead to eating. Um, it can lead to other behaviors to sort of mute that pain. And that's where I think the atonement can be helpful in good clinical people to sort of address what's going on there. And it sounds like you figured that out. But I just recognize sometimes that's, I call that t- tip of the iceberg stuff. You see something at the top of an iceberg like you gaining weight. And yeah. it's not really about you gaining weight. It's about dealing with this pain, um, this shattering, so to speak, that you felt. And um, and sometimes I think a therapist, if to to address that, sometimes, and I don't know if this is clinically helpful, but sometimes with the YSAs, I'd sort of take them down the road about try to, because sometimes there's more fear in our minds than reality. And sometimes I would say, okay, so your parents are divorced. Let's how does this affect you? How is your long-term life plan different now? Yeah, it's really painful and you're really sad. And But sometimes when you logically walk people down the road, they recognize that perhaps there's more fear around there than reality potentially has that's changed, at least for them. It certainly has changed for your parents and for your your family that was this core tight family that's now different. So sometimes that can be helpful for you listeners to kind of, my grandfather used to do that for me. I used to worry about things and he used to try to, he used to tell me to accept the things I was worrying about that they actually could happen. <laughs> then I, and then he said, so what happens if that actually happens? And if they're really bad things like an earthquake destroys us, that's a really bad thing. But sometimes my fears were not if I accepted that they could happen, that was a way for me to sort of move on because they weren't, they didn't really affect my life. Um, and I've just always remember what my, one of the things my grandfather told me. So I think you're just honest that you held a grudge, you felt pain and you were dealing with it in all these different ways. Talk about forgiveness, Brandon. How did you end up forgiving people that hurt you? Well, it wasn't easy and it never is. I mean, you can't, uh, you know, it's, uh, 
I've, I've just heard stories about how people, it, it can be years, 10, 20 years, and people are still in pain because they're trying to find a way to forgive. For me, it, it took about three years um, from the time I could feel that shattering inside of me to the time I, I picked up the phone and 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 forgave. Um, I had gotten to the point in my life, I was, I was about 19, and um, you know, to be honest, I think it really goes back to when I was 18 and a half. It was uh, 2012, it was September. I, I had just started my freshman year in college. This is probably really when it started. I, um, and I say I was 18 and a half because this was a very, that's very significant. Um, like I said, my birthday is in April. So this is September. I'm, you know, six months I had turned of being 18. I'm in college at this time. I started, I start up and I have this thought go through my mind on the fact that I'm going to need to go on a mission in, in about six months. That's when I'm going to turn 19. I, I was very, I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I, I have, I had some like, you know, patriarchal blessing, things like that, that was suggesting I, I would go on a mission. But I, I, at this time, I just wanted to focus on school and I just figured, okay, well, I'll worry about that in six months and I'm going to worry about school now. Well, if, as you, as you can remember a week later, which was general conference and, um, and president Monson go went up in the very first talk he um, announced a policy change that the mission age would be lowered to 18 for for elders and lowered to 19 for sisters. That was a week after I had I had made this internal I had this internal conversation with myself. Um, that was that was that was hard. That was that was rough. And to me, that was kind of a, a little slap on the wrist. Like, you know, if you want to go on a mission, he said, you you have a lot of work to do. And it was true. I mean, I did have a lot of work that I needed to do, but that's probably what kickstarted my um, my journey to forgiveness. Because at that point, I started to really question what I was taught growing up. I started to question my beliefs. I started to question the scriptures, and I started to question. And I and I'm very careful to use the word question. I think it's perfectly okay to question. This whole church was restored because a 14 year old boy had had the faith to ask a question, you know, when a lot of people wouldn't ask questions. Um, I, I don't think I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I had doubts, but I think doubts is when we start to invite adversity into our lives. Uh, but I was really questioning what I was doing with my life. And I think the age change combined with my 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 parents getting divorced combined with my depression combined with my being extremely unhealthy all of those events connect because when i realized that i was too young to serve a mission by 6 months and then overnight just like that i was old enough to serve a mission where all of my friends were emailing their stake presidents the second president monson made that announcement saying that they wanted to go on a mission I was sitting here saying, well, what do I want to do? And so all of these things connect to when I offered my very first heartfelt prayer to Heavenly Father. And um, that's really when I started to find my, when I really got my testimony was 
all of these events that led to the age change and then eventually to that prayer. After this was about a year before before that happened. When 2013 came around, I and I, I still hadn't been holding a grudge, and I, and I just I I really wanted. So I I just the only thing I could think about it was just though my existence was centered around revenge, and that hurt me. I would come home from from school or from work. And I'm telling you, negativity, it really loves company because I would, I would say some things about how frustrated I was because of the day. And then, you know, the person that I was living with, you know, my sister, my mom would say something and then would, we would connect it to the other parent. And then that negativity would turn, would, would enrage me. And then I would get upset and then, and then that would make it worse. It's just this, this constant flow of, of negativity going completely out of control. Um, it, it's just very, it's very, um, it was very unhealthy. It's very difficult. And um, it's so easy to want to hate and to, and to seek revenge for somebody that did you wrong. And I can't tell you how many times I had heard, seen, or felt the scripture. I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. You know, DNC 6410, that, that scripture, I think I've, I had seen more times in that three-year time in my life than I'd ever seen combined in the rest of my life. It is a powerful scripture, and it was so relevant for me. But really, that wasn't... That wasn't what caused me to forgive. It was because I knew that if I knew if I was going to go serve the Lord, if I was going to wear a name tag, and if I was going to honor Him, I first needed to to forgive before teaching other people how to forgive. But that wasn't enough to convince me to forgive. What actually happened was, and I and I will never forget this day. Um, there was a a young woman. She, at the time, I believe, was about 15 or 16 years old, who we actually connected when they moved to my home ward about 10 years ago. Um, 10 years ago, 2010 or so is when they moved. Um, the oldest sister and the second oldest sister were about the same ages as me and my, well, my brother, my middle brother. And they had went to it through a very similar situation as we did when it comes to having parents. Um, her dad or their stepdad was on his fourth marriage and their mom was on her second marriage. And it's, that's another story in itself, but they're wonderful people. One, the thing that really connected was that how it hurt them personally. So Going back to this experience now, testimony meeting, it was September of 2013. This girl goes up and she bears her testimony and testimony meeting. And um, uh, what she said was, was beyond 
what I needed to hear. It was, it was, it was phenomenal. Um, she goes up and she said, um, I have a testimony of forgiveness. And I knew who she was talking about because she told me the story. Um, she said that it's extremely, extremely, how did she say it? I know that forgiveness is a necessary part in our lives. I know that it's extremely overwhelming to hold a grudge and that it only hurts everybody in the end. And that it's so much easier to just let it go. And, um, you know, honestly, if that had come from anybody else who didn't understand what it was like to have, to have parents that, that left or they got to the divorced, but she despised her parents. I mean, she, she hated and resented the fact that that they didn't work harder. And she was telling the ward that she forgave both of them. That inspired me. And I realized that I was not going to go anywhere unless I did the right thing. President Monson gave a really powerful talk later after this happened, a couple of years after this happened, about may we ever be willing to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. So taking this young woman's advice and having the Holy Ghost as my as my friend really to help guide me courageously through this, I picked up the phone and we my my um we had such an emotional conversation. It was it was beyond emotional. I, I just words cannot describe the feeling and the beauty of the release of that negativity. I I didn't want to do it. I really wanted I wanted so bad to hold on to this negativity. But I wanted even more to serve my Heavenly Father because I love him. I love my Heavenly Father more than I hated what my parents did to each other and to us. And so the right thing to do, the harder right, was forgive because my Heavenly Father has commanded it. And so... It was really hard. I mean, it it was beyond difficult. I mean, I've had jobs. I've, I've had so many jobs in life. I've had friendships that have come and gone. I have, I even had a best friend that after eight years of being best friends, just decided to ghost me all of a sudden. And we never, he's never spoken to me ever since. But none of that was nearly as difficult as telling somebody that you love that you forgive them. But it was beautiful and and worth it.
That's a great story. Um, I think I I have people in my life that I think I still hold a grudge to. They're not family members, but I've had people that I felt wounded by, and I think about those wounded experiences at times. And I would think all of our listeners have similar experiences that you've had or I've had, and we all need to learn how to forgive just for the very reasons that you're talking about. For some reason, I had a flashback to the movie Home Alone, where I don't know many of our listeners will remember this, but in one of those Home Alone versions, that young guy, and I forget his name, that's Home Alone, he befriends the next-door neighbor, an old man, and the old man talks about his his relationship with his non-relationship with his estranged son. And that young boy asks this older guy, probably in his 70 or 80s, why he doesn't talk to his son anymore and says that words were exchanged. And in this young boy's mind, it's he asks really simple questions. So why don't you just kind of talk again and make up? And so many years have passed that that grudge you're talking about just built and built and built and the ability then. And and somehow in that movie towards the end, and I this is the tender part of that movie for me is, that young home alone boy, whatever his name is, <laughs> um, looks out the window and he sees this father on a snowy night with his adult son together again. And that adult son bringing the rest of his kids, this these grandkids, maybe for the first time meeting their grandfather. And that just touched me so much. But it was so simple what you just taught, Brandon, and what this young boy taught that it just takes courage to pick up the phone and have those discussions. Um, My experience is people want to heal relationships. And it sounds like your your parent, when you reached out to that parent, um, wanted to move to a better spot and maybe was not sure how to do that and needed you to take the lead. I think often when we have a grudge and we feel like it's the other person's fault, we feel like it's their job to reach out. And I think sometimes, like you're teaching, it's maybe not whose job it is to reach out, but somebody just needs to take the lead um, because we'll all be better off. It's just the gospel of Jesus Christ in action. Um, Talk about um, a couple more segments. Talk about recovery and just there's been wounding there, so there's recovery. Just talk about recovery, what that word means to you. It's, It's amazing. I mean... I mean, I loved your Home Alone reference. That was, I mean, I just didn't realize. I, I just completely forgot about that. And, But that is recovery. I mean, I think recovery cannot start unless you're actually ready for it. I wasn't ready for recovery because I was so caught up in holding a grudge and that I was unwilling to forgive. And that was therefore preventing me from recovering. I recovery, you know, Richard, I'm actually going to write a book. Um, probably I'm not 28 yet, but I'm going to call the book 18 to 28, the most critical 10 years of, and the most turning point. There's going to be something along those lines. But the reason why is because that, that 10 year gap is a very critical time in our lives you know, growing up, becoming an adult, what if you're a member, going on a mission, getting married, having kids, getting your profession 
in gear, that's a very critical decade in our lives. And for me, it was no exception. My recovery began immediately after that phone call. And I was 19 and I was very blessed. And my life has only improved ever since in the past seven years, uh, since that phone call. Um, I uh, decided that my, both of my parents were worth giving a second chance to, you know, their, their worth is so important to Heavenly Father and extending that, that love is, is only our way of showing him how much we love him by, by show, showing that love with the people that have still hurt us. In my recovery, there's just so many things that can go into it, and that's why I want to write a book about it. But I can honestly say that from that point forward, when I decided to patch things up, I had this desire to patch up old wounds with my brothers because I was the oldest brother and how every old brother, unfortunately, can, has done this. They are more often than not are, are bullies or not necessarily friendly to their younger brothers. And I was no exception. And I realized at that point that my brothers and I did not have a good relationship and I wanted to work on that relationship. And so even though I, I didn't have any problems with them, or at least I personally didn't, I, having forgiven my, my parents, I realized that my brothers also, I wanted to give them my time. Um, I had to sit outside the temple when, when, uh, my sister got married. That was, that was kind of a little kickstart. It was kind of, kind of gave me some, like a boost to want to continue to improve, over the next couple of years, um, when I was 20, I was ordained an elder in the Melchizedek priesthood. And um, I didn't want to become an elder until I was absolutely sure that I was ready for it. Because, you know, jumping from a priest to an elder is not like going from a deacon to a teacher or a teacher to a priest. It's it's a significant imp- a change. And um, while most other people were ready when they were 18 or 19, I, I just knew that I couldn't, that I wasn't going to be able to do it. So, but I felt that when I became ordained, it was, but that was part of the recovery process because, you know, when I started, when people started asking me to give blessings, there was this very powerful feeling of like a stamp of approval that was um, given to me from Heavenly Father, reminding me of my, of my worthiness to, um, to act as the voice in that blessing. And it, um, it's always a beautiful thing every time it happens, but there's, there's so much to talk about. Like I, a good synopsis of recovery would be in the past seven years, my life has been phenomenal. It was, has been beyond literally if I could, if I could have dreamed when I was 11, 10, 12 years, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old about what my life could look like, what I'm living, what is going on with me right now is, is far beyond anything I could have imagined and anything I could have dreamed of. You know, it's not because of, of how much money I, I have or don't have. It's not because of the amount of cars I have or don't have, even though 10 year old me could have dreamed about that. You know, I have none of those, but 
I don't need any of those because I have so much more than that. Um, I've lost 140 pounds since then. I've. Wow. Yeah. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, Richard. I mean, I had no desire. Like, I went cold turkey on my medication, not because I wanted to, but because it happened. But because SSI stopped paying for it. And, and I had, you know, goodness, it was probably $2,500 a month worth, worth, worth of medicine that I had to take. There's no way we were going to be able to pay for that. Um, and so I had to go cold turkey. Because of that, I started to function independently. I started walking the work. I, I was losing weight. I had this desire slowly but surely to, to do the right thing. And I got my mission call to serve for three months in the Illinois-Chicago mission. I came home for five months, helped my sister move to Cleveland, helped the missionaries in the areas they needed help. And then I finished my mission in Salt Lake City. I, I've come home. I started delivering pizzas. I moved to Utah. I've been married in the temple. And there are so many more things that have happened, but... And that's, and there are so many things that I could explain, you know, there's, you know, we have, there's things that like, when you go on a mission, there's sacred experiences that happen, but really what it comes down to Richard is recovery is really that phone call is what kickstarted all of these other events. I honestly believe if I didn't make that phone call, that my life would be very different. And so recovery, it's, 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 it's literally reaping the benefits of, of, all, of, of, of hard and difficult decisions. It's, I, I wish I could go on, but I mean, we have, you know, we have a, an outline to follow. And really, if I start talking, I'm not going to want to stop because <laughs> there's just so much that goes with it. Um, I love that. I love the way that recovery there's it's helped you personally. Um, yeah, we are coming up on the hour mark. Um, I want to have you in this last segment, talk about, um, talk first about your mom, what you love about your mom, and then talk about your dad and what you love about your dad. I love my mom, my mom, I think my mom, what I really love about her is that, and yes, I think every child, every kid would, would get annoyed but by, by, by something like this as well. But I love that she is so interested in what I'm doing. I love that she makes it a point to go out of her way and ask how, how I am. Um, I mean, you know, it does get a little annoying, especially on the honeymoon, but I think I really love that I have a physical and visual reminder that she cares. I really love, and she's always willing. If I, if I need, if I need anything, she's always willing to talk. You know, she's given me 20 bucks just because at times, because she knows how it is to struggle and she doesn't even think twice about it. 
it's really nice having somebody that that doesn't that doesn't think work is more important than her children that doesn't think that she, you know everybody has makes mistakes but I loved my mom it cares enough about us to put us above some of the things that a lot of times we can get distracted by I mean growing up she's canceled things before many times just so that she could take care of me and that I can is something I can never be too grateful for. So I really love that my mom goes above and beyond. My dad, I actually didn't realize this until I went on my mission, but I love that he killed himself, physically, literally killed himself to get food on our tables, get food in our stomachs. I did not realize how hard he worked just so that we could be fed. I mean, we're talking about 13, 14, 15 hour days, five days a week. He would get up and leave at seven in the morning and or eight in the morning and, and he'd come home at midnight and um, 11, 11 p.m. or midnight. And he would do that for five days a week. And he would come home with, you know, barely enough to, to pay to pay for food. And I started to think about, and I, and I didn't want to ever defend him until I went on my mission. And then when I had told somebody, you know, about what I was not liking about something that he did, it was funny because a month later, that same person brought it up. They're like, well, didn't, well, yeah, because you didn't like this about him, right? I immediately defended him. I'm like, no, you don't realize how hard he worked for us. And then I heard myself say that out loud. I'm like, wow, he really did work hard for us. I, I think... I don't think that we give our dads enough credit in the work department sometimes. Now, as a husband, I can safely say now, which I couldn't have said, you know, five years ago or even two years ago. You, when we go to work, we go to work with the intention of having a roof over the heads of our loved ones and making sure that we can provide provisions for them food and shelter and, and, and clothing and so forth. Sometimes that, that can send a message to the rest of the family that, that we don't want to be there, that we, 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 that we would rather be some, somewhere else, when in fact we want nothing more than to be with our families. I can say that as a husband now. I believe my dad wanted nothing more than to be with us than to make sure, or than to spend time with us. And and he took us to the grocery store and took us grocery shopping and did some oddball things and, and ran errands with us just so that he could have more time with us. And a lot of people considered that strange, but looking back, I can see now that he wanted to be with us. He wanted nothing more than to spend time with us, but he couldn't because he had to work to death. Literally, he had to work so hard so that we could eat. And like I said, as a husband, I see that now, but in retrospect, or at the time, I didn't realize what goes through a guy, a husband's mind when he's away from his family for so long. So that's one thing I really like about my dad that I love about him is that he was willing. 
and I think stubbornness is a good word. He, in, in the 30 years that I've known him, or the 20, I've known him for 26 years, but he's been in the workforce for, you know, 40 years now. I think he's called in sick maybe once, or I think maybe at most two times. You know, he, he's a very hard worker. He's, he's very stubborn when it comes to um, working and, and, and calling in sick. He never calls in sick. He's just that determined to make sure the provisions are there. And I really love that kind of determination about him. I love that he was so hardworking. I love your tributes to your good mom and dad. And um, I'm going to turn it over to you in a second for just some final thoughts. Um, But I've used the term, I think I used the term earlier in this podcast called broken home. And I've thought about that. I'm not sure I should use that term anymore. I think I don't, I don't like the connotation because you're not broken. Um, your parents aren't broken. You just have a different family situation. I wouldn't call it broken. I just call it different. And I wouldn't want to create a narrative or a label on your family to create a feeling that something's broken. It's just different. And it's bringing other blessings and insights. And it sounds like your parents did the very best they could. And as you age up and have better perspective and maturity and using the atonement of Jesus Christ and um, gospel principles, you're seeing goodness in both of your parents. And you've earned some valuable lessons in your life at a young age that you're sharing with our listeners and will be part of your relationship with everybody you come in contact with, the ability to um, feel pain, hold a grudge, and then learn forgiveness is something you can teach others. So I don't think any parents want to go in a marriage in the hopes that it will not work out. So it brings added lessons to their children, but it's just part of mortality is difficult things happen. And the real test of our character is what do we do when difficult things happen and can we learn and improve and grow? And that's where I think Heavenly Father is smiling down on every member of your family um, for walking this road in the very best way you can and supporting everybody in the very best way you can. And time is a healer, but also time can sometimes make these grudges and these wounds deeper and harder to resolve. So I admire you making that call. And I think all of us as we're reflecting on who, who do we need to call? I've certainly had some names come to my mind, Brandon, of people that I need to call. And I've known that for a long time. And, um, this is an example, um, for our listeners, I wanted to just reference that reference Hannes Durant, who we've talked about. That's somebody that you met in Chicago, and he was on episode seven. I'm recording from our front room where he took the missionary discussions and received a testimony of the gospel um, in his first lesson and then um, joined the church. He's from South Africa, living in the United States, and has since served a mission in Chicago. That's how you got to know him, and now he's at BYU. Um, and just doing great things in his life. So that's way back at episode seven, if anybody wants to hear that amazing conversion story. Um, you have been a wonderful guest. Oh, my goodness. I love his conversion story. Go ahead. <laughs> he, yeah, and he's just a, one of, just a great young man, just like you are. And um, it's kind of ironic. He doesn't like to name drop church callings, but it's my son, uh, Matt performed his baptism, and now my son Matt is in the same ward as Hannes, and Hannes has been his elders' quorum president and just got released. So 
how cool to have your elders quorum in your YSA ward present be the very person you baptized and invited into the church. And that's a beautiful story of the gospel going forth. And there's people you've helped. Um, this is a great podcast. Um, you have a maturity beyond your age. Um, it's a credit to your parents. If they're listening, I don't know you, um, Brandon's parents, but I love you. And I, I just recognize you've done the very best you can in a very complex road. And I hope, and maybe I'm speaking to all the parents that um, have had a marriage end and wondering how this is going to affect your kids, because you think about that a lot. And I would just leave that at the Savior's feet and recognize that their Heavenly Father kids too, and the principles you've taught them and the values you've taught them. And um, most parents whose marriage end are really good people wanting to do the right thing and have faith that your kids are going to be okay. And even though your storybook story didn't quite happen the way you thought it would happen, especially if you've gone through a divorce and maybe seen some negative impact on your kids, have faith that Brandon's sharing that there's great days ahead and there's reconciliation, there's forgiveness, there's and there's lessons that are helpful for all. So be at peace that um, still your dreams are in place and you're, as you see your kids hopefully grow and learn that you'll be able to stay close with them and your grandkids. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, Brandon? Yeah. And, and I think, and I don't want to, I think it's great to leave this on a high note, I, but I, I really want to bring things. I won't really want things to be a reality for some of our listeners that might be still asking, you know, wh- how are things going to be different now? You know, I, I, you know, they might be thinking I have parents that are, you know, that they might be going through a similar situation. I just like to just kind of point out and say, it's never going to be the same. You know, nothing's going to be the way it was. It's this thing I like to call bittersweet. Yeah. You know, the feelings, it's really not even bittersweet. It's, it's really sweet. Um, once you can learn to get past the differences between your disagreements with your parents or with yourself or with your siblings, you know, it's never going to be the same, but I I think the lesson that I learned is that focusing on what might have been would only have caused me to forget what has become. And I think that's, that's the, like the, um, the bow on the present as you call it, because it's, it's really never going to be the same, but you know, like what president Monson says, May we ever be willing to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. The Savior himself said it, he never said it was going to be easy, only that it would be worth it. And that's and that's my testimony. Um, that's powerful, and that's, uh, that's honest, too. So, Brandon Kellogg, thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And thank you, our listeners, for listening, during, especially during the pandemic and all that's going on. I join prayers with you that um, this will be solved and suffering can be alleviated, alleviated. We can get back to normal. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.